All right, if you could take your seats, we're ready to begin our third hour. And while you are filing in, and uh, for those of you watching online, by the way, we just got word that there are 480 people watching online um, that just watched this last session. So again, we welcome you. And we have a few tweets. Deidre says, quoted Andrew, if God tells you to do something, just do it. That's from Deidre. And uh, someone, I believe, in Canada... Toronto, watching from Canada and can't wait to attend Karis Bible College here in Toronto in the fall. So there's an extension school that's going to open up in uh, Canada, and uh, John and Abby are going to run that one, right, and all that. So that was a few. So keep the tweets coming, and uh, we appreciate you being here. Let us know where you're from as well. So did you want to introduce uh, Lawson, or you want me to? All right. All right, Lawson Purdue is going to be ministering, and like I said earlier, I was ministering in Lamar, Colorado back in, man, when was that? It would have been 78, and I was holding Bible studies, and Lawson's mother used to come to our Bible studies. He was 14 years old, but he didn't want to come, but he was really interested in fishing, and she promised to buy him some fish bait if he had come to that Bible study. So he came and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit and called to preach that night. And he wound up going to Lester Summerall's school and working for Lester. And he started a church out in Eads, Colorado. Just was, did a tremendous job. I mean, there's only 300 and something people in the whole town and they had like 100 coming to church. Tremendous percentage. And he was a faithful guy. And so you've been here now for how many years? 12 years. And I remember when Lawson and Barbara came and started this church, and man, now they're just prosperous. They've got, they run over 800 on a regular basis, sometimes up to 1,000 right over here. And we were talking today about building a 5,000-seat auditorium, amen. So God's doing awesome things through Lawson. So this is awesome Lawson. <laughs> amen. Lord. Hey, I got it. And I'm, Barbara teaches here in the Bible school too. So she's going to come share. She's more of a teacher than I am actually. So she's going to come share for three or four minutes and then I'll take off. Is this on? Well, praise the Lord. Uh, it's always amazing to me that my husband is willing to share the microphone because he's sitting there. His legs are <laughs> tapping. He's so ready to, to um, give the message that God has um, for all of you. And like I said, I'm just really happy just to have several minutes just to exhort and encourage you. And so I need your help. I need everyone to turn to the person next to you and say, who do you think you are? And so... Praise the Lord, it's okay to have a little attitude, isn't it? So, you know, you, we're all just asked the question, who do you think you are? Do you realize, depending on how you answer that question for yourself, determines your destiny? 
And so we're going to just look very briefly at a story that we're all very familiar with in the, in the Bible. And, you know, these stories, they encourage us, and they're so fun to read. They have action and adventure and, and passion and adversity. And it's really fun to read about it, but it's another thing when we're the ones experiencing it. But what we can learn from the story, we're going to be turning to Numbers 13. Like I say, this is a passage we're all very familiar with. But this is what I learned just as I was reading my Bible We've got to determine, we've got to be able to answer that question for ourselves. Who do I think I am? It doesn't matter what the person on the right or the left of you thinks. It depends on who, what you think of yourself and how you're going to answer that question. And so like I said, I just have a couple more minutes. We're just going to start in Numbers 13.1. And I love this. It's the Lord spoke to Moses. So the Lord is speaking. Verse 2 He's telling them, you know, send spies out into the land. Like I say, we're all familiar with the story about when Moses led them out of Egypt and they were to take the land that God was giving them. And in verse 2, my Bible says, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving. So in my Bible, that word giving is underlined, circled. It's like the Lord was telling them to do something. But you know what? The victory was already proclaimed. It was already proclaimed that this is the land I'm giving you. Victory was already declared. And just to, to save on time, we can skip on down to verse 20. So spies are, are, um, are, you know, chosen leaders from the tribes. And in verse 20, they're sent out with this little pep talk. It's kind of in the middle of the verse. But it says, be of good courage. Why do you think we need to have a pep talk and be reminded, be of good courage, when we already read that it's the land that, you know, it's our victory. This is the land God has given us. Do you understand that everyone in here has a calling and anointing and a strength on your life? The Lord is strategically placing us in cities, states, countries for his purpose to take them for his glory. And so... You know, this was the land that the Lord wanted to give them. It was already declared victory. This is the land I'm giving you. There's like um, nothing you have to think about. It's supposed to be a done deal. <laughs> and so it's spoken over them, be of good courage. So they go to the land. They come back in verse 27, and they say, we went to the land you sent us, and it truly is a good land. Isn't that awesome? God has only good in store for us when he's calling us to neighborhoods and cities and states and countries. It's for good. But then they go on in verse 28, and the word in my Bible is, Nevertheless, the people who dwell there in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. And it goes on in verse 29 how, you know, there's descendants of Anak. But in verse 29, it talks about the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and the Canaanites. And they're all really big people. And there's just all these ites that are in the way. And if it wasn't for these ites... And these giants, and um, they go on to say in verse um, 33 how um, big these giants were, and, and they felt, they said, but we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. But there was one person who spoke up. We got to just go back. I'm trying to hurry because I'm watching my husband. Like I said, he's really nice to share, but, you know, I'm going to get hooked here. So in verse 30, you know, Caleb was the one that spoke up, and he tried to quiet the people. And he said, let us go at once and take possession, for we are well over, well able to overcome it. That word able means to have power, having the capacity to prevail, to prevail or succeed. Caleb had a, what his, if he was asking himself that question, he saw himself as someone who was victorious, 
where everyone else had all these excuses and all these ites and all these reasons why it couldn't be, even though the Lord himself had already declared victory. This is the land I'm giving you. So again, I just want you to ask that question, who do you think you are? We need to be like Caleb and see ourselves as well able to do what the Lord has placed, the anointings and the callings on our life. It's so awesome. There's no, no such thing as a bench warmer. Everybody's needed. No one is eliminated. Turn to the person next to you and say, quit warming the bench. Anyway, my several moments are up, so here is my husband, Pastor Lawson. Amen. Praise the Lord. Isn't Jesus wonderful? I want to talk a little bit about faith. And it fits really well with what Barbara was just sharing. In fact, uh, I just heard that Smith Wigglesworth made a statement that God would pass over a million people to find one person that's believing him. And if you go back to that story that Barbara was talking about, you know, God told Moses, you pick 12 of the best men that you have, one out of each tribe. There were about 2 million strong. That's one out of about every 160,000 people. And so he, he picked 12 of the best men that they had out of 2 million people, and only two people ended up believing him. Praise God. And you know what? They got exactly what they believed for. They possessed the promised land. The other 10 that didn't believe, they got what they believed for. They didn't believe and they didn't receive. Amen. So what you believe about this situation, even though God had promised something and God had said something to them, what you believe says a lot about what you receive. And so God today in our uh, world where we live, God has provided everything by grace. But if we're going to tap into grace and receive, we're going to have to receive it by faith. And I want to talk just a little bit about today about faith will work for you. In, in uh, Luke chapter 17, Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus. And they made a statement in verse 5. And they said, Lord, increase our faith. And Jesus said, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. You might say to this sycamine tree, be thou removed and be thou cast in the sea. And it shall, should obey you. And then he went on and told them, for which of you has a servant plowing or feeding cattle when he comes in from taking care of the livestock? that You tell him, go, go clean yourself and take care of yourself and feed yourself and then come take care of me. That didn't happen in the world they lived in in that day. He said, no, you, you tell your servant, you come and take care of me. And once you've taken care of me, then you can go out. Do you thank the servant because he did what he was commanded? I think not. In other words... You expect your servant to work for you. What Jesus was saying is faith is your servant. And every one of you, as a born-again believer, has the very same faith of Jesus. You have the faith of God in you. You have the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead living on the inside of you and the fruit of the Spirit's faith. You have the faith of God. But the challenge is many times we're not putting our faith to work. We're not using our faith. So what are some of the hindrances to our faith? Why isn't our faith working better? You know, why are many of us like the disciples? Lord, will you increase our faith? You really don't need a faith increase. What you need is to know how to use the faith that's been given to you. And so one of the very first things that I thought about when I thought about this was, and, and, and really this came to me as a question. And one of my staff members who went to a different school before he came to Karis Bible College 
was, was questioned at the school he went to. And, and really, uh, people that teach a lot of things that we teach were criticized. And, and he said, this is what they're saying about you. They're saying, you know, that people that teach like you are saying that people uh, who are sick or different things, uh, they don't have faith. And I said, we're not saying that at all. But what we are saying is they're not using the faith that God's given them. We're not looking down and putting down other people. And I had another person, you know, bring that same thing up in my church. I have a man, I, I shared a message recently, and I was talking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. And I told him, I don't believe that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a physical infirmity. You talk about mad. He was mad. And I got an email about it, and I answered his email. Now, I thought I answered his email very well. But I asked him when I saw him in the church the next couple of weeks or so, did you get my email? Do you understand? Absolutely not. He was furious. And so I spent about a half hour trying to talk to him. He still didn't get it. And uh, so I shared this message really in relating to that. Now, his first wife had died from cancer. And he was really upset about that. And I can understand being upset because you've had a loss. But he married another woman and her husband had died from a tragedy. And the woman that he married was raised in a full gospel background. She believes like we do. And she, she was raised that you believe God if you need help. And you believe God if you need finances. And, and so she said, but the challenge is he just doesn't see it. And she, she told him and explained to him about Lawson. She said, Lawson sees it. And she said, once you see it in the word, she said, you're never going to be able to go back to this way of thinking. But the challenge is you just don't see it properly. Your faith is connected to what you see. And so I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how we can develop the faith picture. Or, you know, because I believe faith is connected to what we see and begin to see things the way God sees them. And that's really what we're trying to do at this school. We want you to see God for who he really is. We want you to see yourself for the way God sees you. And we want you to begin to see the situation in the world around you from the perspective of God. Because if you can see God for who he is, see yourself for who you are, then see the situation for what it really is, I believe you can go out there and make a difference and you'll see you know, what grace has promised you coming to pass in your life. Now today I want to use the example of Abraham. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin reading here in verse 8. And we're going to talk a little bit about getting the faith picture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place that he afterward would receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in a land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Question number one. What motivated Abraham in his faith? What was the motivation to his faith? It tells us in verse 10. He looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker was God. He was looking for something, right? He, he wanted to see something. So uh, what he looked for motivated him. Notice this, secondly, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Your faith 
not only will affect you, but your faith will affect those that are closest to you. You know, we pastored in a very small town, Kit Carson, Colorado. It's right close to Eads. But we pastored there, and we pastored there for 13 years. And after 13 years, or after 10 years actually of pastoring there, God began to change the picture on the inside of me. And as God began to change the picture on the inside of me, I began to think thoughts. That if I could pastor this church in Kit Carson, Colorado, 75 or 100 people, and give away $50,000 a year to missions and other ministries, then I could pastor a church of 1,000 people, and I could give away $500,000 a year. And because I began to get a different picture on the inside of me, God began to work on the picture on the inside of me, it, it, it made it necessary for me to make a change in the natural Right, And so we came here, and the first year or so that we came here, our total income at the church was something like $25,000. I didn't take a salary for the first you know, six months of the church. I didn't take a housing allowance for the first year that we had the church. But that, you know, because the picture on the inside of me changed, it, I had to change the picture on the outside of me. I tell people when we first started, some Sundays we took up the offering. We had less than $100 in the offering, and I put 50 in it. So it was a little bit challenging. But guess what? Because I made, I made a, a decision to change. I came up here, and we were believing God actually to, to live in a certain area. We didn't know about it, but then we came to Andrew's uh, pastor's conference up in the mountains at that point in time in Buena Vista, and when we went there, Cecil and Lisa Paxton grabbed us one day. And they said, could we give you a word from the Lord? I said, absolutely. They didn't know anything about us thinking about moving. It was before. They said, you need to do exactly what the Lord has put in your heart. It's good for you. It's good for the ministry. And it'll be good for your children. And so we were trying to buy a house over here in School District 12. And we were trying to get one for about $140,000. And we needed a four-bedroom house, about 2,500 square foot at least. And when we looked at houses like that, guess what? It was like, call the bulldozer. So I had to go to a different realm in my thinking, and, and I did that. We bought a very nice house. We had to do a lot of work to it to make it nice. But we bought a $200,000 house on a $400,000 block that's now worth $400,000. And, you know, because I moved my children into a different atmosphere, it's blessed my children. It's helped my children. My oldest son now, Aaron, is a, doing his doctorate at Rice University in Houston. And uh, he's getting paid to do his doctorate. And he's, he doesn't have any regular job. He's a flute player. He teaches flute students. They're paying him about $1,000 a month to go to college. And he's buying and selling stuff on the side. Has no regular job. And last month he made $10,000. Isn't that awesome? He's blessed. My middle son, Andrew's an engineer. He's in Denver. He, he graduated as the outstanding chemical engineering student in Colorado School of Mines. With his master's degree in four years, they came and headhunted him and got, got him a job. He's got a job with benefits making over $100,000 a year. My youngest son, Peter, is graduating from Princeton in June, and he's been accepted that for, to, to go to work for the Burger King Corporation Corporate Management in, down in Miami, Florida. They interviewed six Princeton graduates, and they only hired one. We have favor. 
But see, because we believe God and we came to another level in our thinking and our believing, it's easier for our children now to be receiving and they're receiving above and beyond where we were, you know, and where, I mean, it's phenomenal what's happening in their life, but it's because, see, when you operate, when you believe God and you move forward in faith, it will affect those closest to you. In fact, one of the men in my church told me, he said, in about 10 years, you're going to see, before when, in, that was in Kit Carson before we moved here, whether, he said, this is going to be one of the best decisions that you've made in your life or one of the worst decisions that you've made in your life. And I could tell in about five, it was about one of the best decisions that I've ever made in my life. But see, your faith will affect those closest to you. So what Abraham saw was motivating him to move forward into what God had for him, right? And then it affected those closest to him. Now look here in verse 12. Therefore sprang there even of one Abraham, Abram, Abraham, and of him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and the sand which is on the seashore innumerable. Now, what God was working with in Abraham's life, in the area of faith, he was working in vision development. He was working in vision development. Go with me to Genesis chapter 15. Let's look at Genesis chapter 15. Let me show you some things really quickly. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, it says, After these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. So God appeared to him in a vision, right? We just had Peter Daniels here. And we got some great things from Peter Daniels. But Peter Daniels talked about how in his life that he went broke three times. Not bankrupt, went broke. He paid it all back. But he went broke three times. After he went broke the third time, his wife was begging him, Peter, just get a job. He said, I had so much from the debt from the last thing that I failed at, it would have taken me six years at a regular job just to pay the bill. And he said, I, I told her, honey, I can't do that. And he went up to a mountain. They asked him if there was a highlight in his life. He went up to a mountain and he met God. And God changed his life. And you know, about six weeks after that, he said, I was making so much money, I thought it was sinful. And he ended up owning one of the leading real estate firms in the world, having, you know, businesses in several countries. And God blessed him and God helped him. But you know what? When his life changed was when he met God. Abram met God. Abram was a very rich man. He had much silver, much gold, many camels, many asses, many men servants, many maidservants, and God gave it to him. But everywhere that he went, the first thing that he did was he built an altar. He didn't let the stuff get a hold of him. He let God be first place in his life. So the Lord appeared to him in a vision, and he said, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. It's nice that God's our reward, but also we need him to be our shield to protect us. There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of stuff in the world. And if you don't have the protection to go with the blessing, the blessing might not stay around very long. And so he says, I am your shield and exceeding great reward. Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing, right, what was he seeing? Seeing I go childless. The steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, to me you have given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. Wrong thinking, wrong seeing leads to wrong results. If you want to change the 
results, you've got to change the thinking. You've got to change what you're seeing. A lot of times people are receiving the wrong thing because they see the wrong thing. You begin to see the right way, begin to see from the perspective of God, begin to see God for who he is, yourself for who you are, the world for the way it really is. Guess what? It leads to good, leads to good results in your life. And, and so he said, what are you going to give me? I have no seed. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this shall not be your heir, but he will come forth out of your own bow shall be your heir. Abram, you're thinking wrong. So he gave him a word, right? He, he rebuked him. Have you ever been rebuked? I've been rebuked. I listen good when Jesus speaks, right? Now, and, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now toward the heaven and tell the stars if you be able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your seed be. In other words, when he took him outside and showed him the heavens, said, if you could number the stars, I'm going to make your seed like that. What was God working on? God was working on his vision. It was vision development. He was giving him a word picture. You're saying, you don't have any seed. I'm going to make your seed like the stars, innumerable. At one time, they thought they could count the stars, but then they developed a bigger telescope. And the more tel bigger telescopes they d develop, the more stars they find, the more galaxies they find. And they figured out the stars are like the sand on the sea. They're innumerable. In fact, when, when Jesus appeared to Abram in Genesis chapter 22, after he offered up Isaac, his son, he said, I'm going to make your seed like the sand of the sea. What was he doing? He was working on the picture on the inside of Abraham. He said, I'm going to make your seed like the sea. If you can begin to see with the perception of God. See, that's what happened to me in 1998 while I was in Kit Carson, Colorado, is God began to work on the picture on the inside of me. And he said, Lawson, if you can pass through a church of 100 people and you can give away $50,000 a year, you could pass through a church of 1,000 people and you could give away $500,000 a year. But guess what? God's been changing the picture again. And I know when God started taking the picture, see, that was 1998. This is 2013. Right, we have the building next door paid off. We gave about $300,000 last year away to other ministries and missions. Praise God. But he's not done. We're not done yet. See, because now I'm thinking far beyond where we're at now. And I believe that God, it's God that's changing the picture on the inside of me. In fact, I just, we, we took a break the last week of January and we went down to Phoenix. But on the Saturday before we went to Phoenix, I was out here running and I was running on about 30 acres of open ground up here, really beautiful ground on a hill. And I was thinking it'd be nice to build a whole church campus, you know, out here. I could have a whole campus and we could have thousands and thousands of people. And, and, then, and then we went to Phoenix and our next door neighbor, he's an unbeliever, Right? He was raised in a religious home. He rebelled against it. They called him Bad Billy. But I know God put me next to him. Amen. And, it, you know, and I ministered. He has a house in Phoenix. So he said, come see us. So when I went down there. He said, you've got to go see this church. And guess what? Not only does he have a Christian neighbor here, he's got a Christian friend down there. And my friends down here go to this church. So Barbara and I, we went down to look at this church because Bad Billy is telling us, you've got to see this church you got to build a church like this. Praise God. They're doing cool things. There's a lot of people go there. So we went in this church. It's on a whole campus. They had 17,000 people on the last Sunday. 
We went, you know, we go on voca voc vacation to go look at churches. <laughs> Praise God. Next week, we're going to go to Houston, and we're going to minister at the Houston CBC, and we're going to see my son Eric playing his doctorate recital and, and go to Houston Baptist University Choir, Seven Last Sayings of Jesus, with a professional orchestra that my son's playing in. But we're going to go to Joel Osteen's church on Wednesday night. It's pretty awesome going to Joel's church, just getting a big picture. You know, we went in there, and you're looking, and you're looking at how the stage is and everything, and all of a sudden, you look up, and there's this giant Megatron above you. Like, wow. I mean, they have a few thousand people just show up on Wednesday night. Amen. But what, what's happening is we went there on Wednesday night. We went to Tommy Barnett's church. We begin to look at that. We're, we're working on, see, I begin to look. I begin to think in a different realm. I begin to see, and all of a sudden, God's bringing other things into my mind and showing me different things because he works on the picture on the inside before he can work on the picture on the outside. See, Abram was seeing wrong. He said, what are you going to give me seeing I go childless? God said, wait a minute, Abram. This isn't going to be your heir. You've got the wrong picture. Come outside. Look at the stars. They're innumerable. That's how I'm going to make your children. Amen? Now, when you, begin to, when you begin to see, so he's working on vision development, and then it says in verse 6, and he believed in the Lord, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. Praise God. He believed in the Lord. Do you believe in the Lord? Do you believe it in the most high, self-existent, eternal God, the creator of the heaven and the earth? Amen, that he's your God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob is your God. Now, let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11. I didn't forget where I'm at. All right, so the first thing, Abram was motivated or Abraham was motivated by what he saw. He looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. The second thing that we saw was that Abraham's faith affected those closest to him, right? Affected Sarah, right? The third thing that we saw is God was working with Abraham in the area of vision development. This thing called faith, I don't think you ever get to the end of it. You know, I think you believe you get to another level and then God shows you another picture and then you believe and, you get, and you, you're almost there and then he shows you another picture. And as long as you're in this life, you're, you're walking out that dream, that vision that God has for you. In fact, I had somebody email me a while back and they, they asked me if I would consider being a pastor of a church of several thousand that was looking for I said, listen, I am pastoring the church that God wants me to pastor. I'm teaching in the Bible school that God wants me to teach at. I'm living in the house that God wants me to live at. I said, I would be an idiot to leave where God has me. I'm not interested. I said, I'll recommend somebody to you, right? Because they don't give these churches with a few thousand people away. Right, but I'm doing what God's called me to do and I'm where God wants me to be and I'm excited about it. And that's where we all need to be, a place called there, just like what Andrew was preaching about. Now, back, back to the message, okay? So God was working on vision development. I'm gonna make your seed like, like the stars of the heaven and like the sandwiches on the seashore, innumerable, in verse 12. Then it says this in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and the pilgrims on the earth. So they saw it, right? They were persuaded of it. They embraced it and they confessed it. What you see will affect what you believe and what you say. 
They saw it. They saw it. They were persuaded of it. Right? It's just like this woman telling her husband that comes to my church, Pastor Lawson can't go there and preach that because he sees it. And if you ever see it, you're never going to go back to the way you think right now. But the problem right now is you're seeing wrong. And if you ever start seeing right, you can't go back to that doubt and unbelieving way. Amen. If you ever get it, if you ever really understand it, if you ever have a revelation of it, you know, there's some people, they tell me, oh, they have a great revelation of these things, but they're afraid to preach them because they're going to cause people to leave their church. Listen, if you really had a revelation of it, you might not want to preach it, but if you've got a revelation of it down on the inside of you, there's going to come a time when you're like Jeremiah when they put him in prison and he said, the word of the Lord became in me like fire shut up in my bones. If you ever really see it, you can't help but say something about it. See, they saw it, and they were persuaded of it, and they embraced it. If you were really persuaded of it, and you embraced it, you couldn't help but confess it. It's like Peter and John. They took them in, and and they threatened them, and they beat them, and they commanded them not to preach or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. They said, we can't help. We can't help. But talk about the things that we've seen and heard. See, if you really see it, if you get a revelation of it, if you're persuaded of it, if you embrace it, the challenge with people that aren't saying it is they've never really been persuaded of it. They've never really embraced it because if they were persuaded of it and they embraced it, they'd confess it. And they wouldn't care how many people left their church. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good. Jesus preaching a good message one day in John chapter 6 had thousands of people out to listen, begin to say some things, thousands to 12. (laughs) Then he said, the door's open, boys, you can go too. Right? God forbid that we just be a bunch of people pleasers. We ought to be God pleasers. Amen? Amen? You know, you get to trying to please people. I got an email the other day from some guy. He came in, you know, to the church. He'd been to the church one time. And he said, oh, the praise and worship was really good. And I love the preaching on grace and on faith. And he was coming in asking for a handout. And he came in. He'd only been to church one time. Asked for $1,100. Never gave an offering. Right? Right? And, and then, you know, I was gone on, you know, I was down in Phoenix. And so he, Ray, my assistant pastor, said, call back next week. So he didn't call back. So I said, well, you know, he took our flyer, though. He took our, you know, we have a questionnaire if you come ask for money at our church. It says, you know, how long have you come to this church? Is this your church home? How much have you given, right? How much of your percentage of your, what you receive do you regularly give? What other ministries do you support? If you haven't been in this church for six months, where did you go to church before here? Give us some references, right? We just ask some questions about things like that. Are you serving anywhere in the church? Are you willing to serve anywhere in the church? Are you volunteering or you just want a handout? Right, so he wrote us this email. And in this email, he was just blasting me. He was just ripping me up one side and down the other. He said, I came to the church. I loved the worship. I loved the preaching. It was all good. It was all about grace. Then I came and I got this flyer, and it was all about works. And the pastor was up there, and he was wearing these fancy clothes, <laughs> wearing this fancy coat. 
And they're talking about how blessed they are. And I emailed him back. I said, the coat I was wearing probably cost $50. I generally don't ever spend over $50 for a coat. I said, by the way, I said, I took 30% less than the average minister of a ministry my size, church my size, for the first 24 years that I pastored. You know, I just being honest with him. And I said, and, and you know, now I'm not because Greg Fritz is on my board. He said, if you don't take average, you're not even average. But if you don't take average, I'm getting off your board. And he got his Bible out. I said, well, I want you on my board. So if, if my board, if my church board agrees with it, that'll, if my advisory board agrees, it'll be okay. So they treat me really good. And I give a lot of money back. Praise God. But, but anyway... You know, here he was just, just blasting me up one side and down the other, talking about the fancy suits that I wear, how we're doing well. And, and then I have another guy come to the church. He tells me, this woman won't come to your church because you don't wear designer clothes. <laughs> if you're trying to please people, you're trying to please the wrong bunch. Listen, we ought to just get where we please God. Paul said, if I yet, if I did not, you know, if I was pleasing men, I would not be the servant of Christ. Just people, that, you know, they're crazy. Where is your happiness? Your happiness ought to be, you know. Man, just please Jesus. Another person's head is the wrong place to have your happiness. What are you thinking? You know, but if, 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 you, if you believe something, see, they saw it, and they were persuaded of it, and they embraced it, and they, you can't help tell somebody. You, you aren't going to care anymore how many people go out the back door. See what I'm saying? I'd like to keep more of them, but listen, I'm not here to preach those people because I learned a long time. I can preach a message and make Joe over here, and he'll be shouting, and he'll be happy, and John over here, he'll be mad. I come back next year, next week, preach a message, make John over here happy, and Joe, Joe's mad, you know? But I'm not here to please people. We're here to please Jesus. We need to be preaching the word. But if you ever really see it, if, if you ever really understand what the Word says, that's what we're trying to do is, is to get you a picture on the inside of who God is and of who you are and what God wants you to do and where God wants you to do, go and, and see it from the perspective of God. If you see from the perspective of God, you are the healed of the Lord. You are the blessed of the Lord. You are the righteousness of God. You are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. You are the head and not the tail. You are above and not beneath. You are blessed and highly favored of the Lord. You are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. If you ever see from God's perspective, see, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. What matters is what God says about you. Hallelujah. I shouldn't have preached on that anyway. These died in faith, having received the promises. They saw them. They got a picture. They saw them way out there. And they were persuaded of them. And they embraced them. And they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of the country where they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is a heavenly country, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Guess what? He got what he was looking for. What motivated his faith? The thing that was motivating his faith was this. He was looking for a city which had foundations whose builder and maker was God. He prepared for them a city. Now look at verse 17. So the first thing was this, right? If we go back, 
What motivated Abraham? What motivated Abraham was what he saw. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. His faith affected those closest to him, right? God was working on vision development because if God can get the picture on the inside of you changed, the picture on the outside of you will come to conform to the picture on the inside of you, right? What you believe will affect what you say, right? In fact, believe it, see it, say it, receive it. You ever say, everybody say that with me. Believe it, see it, say it, receive it. Believe it, see it, say it, receive it. If you believe it, you begin to see it, you'll begin to say it, and you will receive it. You know, about seven years ago, six or seven years ago, we were in this auditorium. Andrew laid hands on Barbara and I, and he prayed for us, and he gave us a word. And he said, you are now in the second stage of a five-stage plan that God has for your life and ministry. And that week I prayed about it. And I, I, began, I, I said stage number one was the church in Kit Carson. Stage number two is the church here. And stage number three, is gonna, there's going to be three major ministries that come out of the church here. And I'm now in stage number three. In fact, right now we're on the church channel. We're preaching the gospel right now as we speak. We're on the church channel. We, we've done the last couple of weeks over 100 mail-outs a week. Amen? It's growing. It's increasing. We're moving into the next area. We've got two more beyond this one. What happened when Andrew laid his hands on me and prayed for me, I got a picture on the inside. I prayed about it. This is stage one. This is stage two. This is stage three. We're in stage three. Now we're in stage, that, six years ago, seven years ago, whenever he said that, we were in stage two. Now we're in stage three. We've entered into a new stage. But when Andrew prayed for me, I got, I began to think about it. I began to meditate about it. I, I try not to say anything about it, but guess what? <laughs> when you get it on the inside of you, you know what? You can't help but begin to tell people. Right? Peter Daniels was here. He has a book on setting goals. I'm reading his book. God's been working on this picture on the inside of me. I had told people, right? I, you know, I had told people last year, I told people, we're believing God for $2 million this year in income in the ministry. And then we're believing long term for $10, millions a, 10 million a year. I picked up Jesse Duplantis, bringing him to the church. He was talking about believing God. I took him back. I went up and got in his jet. He's telling me the story about how he bought his jet. I said, now, Jesse, we're believing God right now for $2 million a year. And I said, beyond this, we're going to believe God for, for $10 million a year in the ministry. And Jesse looked at me and says, when you get there, just keep believing. Just go on through, right? So now Peter Daniels is here. God's been working on this picture on the inside of me. And I've been telling people $10 million. In fact, we're believing God this year for $3.5 million. I didn't know where I was. I knew that $2 million wasn't enough. I knew that $2.5 million wasn't enough. And Ashley Charities was taking up the offering. Said, I believe God's going to double what's coming into the church this year. I said, praise God. That's where my faith is. I'm believing God for $3.5 million this year. But long term, I was believing $10 million. Now I started drawing pictures of a bigger church thinking in a different realm. I said, you know what? 10 million a year is not going to be enough. I've got to believe God for 20 million a year. If that stretches your faith, start believing. Hallelujah. But see, God's working. What's he doing? He's working on the picture on the inside. 
10 million on the church side, 10 million on the television side. 10 million, I said, 10 million ain't enough. We got to believe beyond that. We got to, so we've already went there in, in the realm of our thinking, in the realm of our, you know, mentality. We're already going there. And, and when you go there, guess what? God's works on the picture on the inside so he can work on the picture on the outside. Prophet Jesse ran, he said, now when you get there, just don't stop there. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Now let's read on down here what happened. So your believing will affect what you see and it will affect what you say. But not only will it affect what you see and what you say, it'll affect what you do. Your faith will affect your action. By faith, when Abram was tried, verse 17, he, he offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac thy seed shall be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from where he had received him in a figure. He received him in a vision. See, because when, when Isaac got to be about, you know, somewhere between about 14 and 22 years old, Right, and, and Isaac was everything that Abraham had believed for. Right, and he got to be about that age. God said, now, Abram, Abraham, at this point in time, I want you to take Isaac and I want you to offer him on a mountain that I show you. And so Abram got up, Abraham got up, he took Isaac with him, right, and he went three days' journey, right, and when he went three days' journey, he, he saw the mountain that the Lord told him. Mount Moriah, right? And he got, he got Isaac with him, right? And he was taking Isaac with him and he was going up to the mountain, right? And, and, and the, the servants that were there with him said, Abraham, you know, you have the wood, you have the fire. And, and he told the servants, actually told the servants, this is in Genesis chapter 22, you can check it out, but I don't have time to go there and read them all. But in Genesis 22, he told the servants, he said, I and the lad will go and worship and come back. So he's already believing that God was going to provide a sacrifice. Then he's going up the mountain. He's got Isaac with him. He's got the wood with him. He's got the fire with him. Isaac said, hey, we've got the wood, but where's the, where's the sacrifice? He said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Right? So he, he received it in a vision, right? He was believing God. And, and so he takes him up there on Mount Moriah, right, to offer him up. And, and he, he gets his knife, and he's ready to kill his son. And when he does it, the angel of the Lord grabs him by the hand, said, Abraham, Abraham, right, and stops him in the middle. And Abraham turns around. Now, Calvary is about a quarter mile from Mount Moriah. And I believe what Abraham did, he's up here on Mount Moriah. He's ready to kill his son. And he looks back there at Calvary, and he, when he looks over at Calvary, he looks over at Calvary. I believe he sees a ram caught in, his, in, his, in, the, in the thicket by his horns and he goes and he brings that ram and he offers him in the place of his son and he says, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. And he called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is my provider. The Lord is my provider. In fact, we used to teach that's, that's talking about provision. Listen, that's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. And what it's saying there, it, when he's talking about provision, Jehovah Jireh, that means provision, forgiveness for your sin, healing for your body, finances for your lack, peace for your turmoil. That's talking about deliverance for, for, for your bondage. That's talking about everything was wrapped up in that one gift called Jesus. 
In fact, Jesus said this in, in John chapter 8, verse 56. He said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. See, well, the angel of the Lord came. And, and listen, let's go back to Genesis chapter 22 and see something here. Genesis chapter 22, and look at this. I want to read these last verses. But when he's offering up this thing, and, and then he, he brings this offering that the Lord provided, he calls it Jehovah Jireh. In verse 14, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. The Lord is provi- my provider. Right, that's a type of Jesus. And that's the very first of the redemptive names of God in the Old Testament. And in that very first redemptive name of God, it's not only talking about financial provision. It's talking about forgiveness for your sin. It's talking about healing for your body. It's talking about righteousness. It's talking about everything that you need. Provision for your lack. It's talking about everything that you need. In fact, Gideon offered a place and they called it Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord is my peace and the Lord is my provision. Gideon was saying, I'm a poor man. I'm the least. I have nothing. And the Lord said, wait a minute, Gideon. Who are you? And when he offered a sacrifice, he called it Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace and the Lord is my provision if you study out what Shalom means. So he says right here, notice this. The angel of the Lord in verse 15 called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time. And he said this in verse 16, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you and in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven and the sand which is on the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Listen, who was speaking right there? It was, I believe, it was the angel Lord. I believe it was a pre-incarnate form of Christ. And Jesus was speaking over Abraham a blessing that is still being spoken today. In blessing, I will bless you. In multiplying, I will multiply you. I'm going to make your seed like the sand. I'm going to make your seed like the stars. And your seed's going to possess the gate of his enemies. And in you, all families of the earth shall be blessed. So I believe if you can get the faith picture, it's not going to be a hard problem to receive what grace has provided in your life. Love you. Bless you.